Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi. Theory. Welcome to High Theory. My name is Abigail Cowan, and I am in my second year as a master's student studying English literature at Penn State. And I am Ramses Martinez Barquero. I am in my first year as a PhD student in Spanish literature, also at Penn State. In this podcast, Sharnik Boshu and Kim Adams get high on the substance of theory. But for this special episode, high theory turns its attention to one of the foundational aspects in building academic knowledge, graduate school. We asked eight graduate students to share their most memorable moments while teaching. Our first guest, Alex, takes us to the beginning of his first day teaching, recounting a comical incident teaching an outdoor class with a stinging conclusion. I'm Alex Mika. I'm a second year PhD student in the English department, I'm 22 years old. And uh, one of my favorite teaching memories actually comes from the first day I ever taught. I was scheduled to teach in this one room and I went to check it out and I had to have place a request to have it moved because I had 16 students. It was a room in the basement with one long round table that could fit maybe 10 people at most. And I walk in on the first day and it's just standing room only. Um, and I can't even get into the classroom. I'm like, okay, we have to get out of here. So we went outside and we uh, had this class outside on a rock wall that was in the shape of a circle. So it was very Socratic and it worked very well for the first day. It was a beautiful day in the fall as well. The class is done and one student comes up to me and he goes, I know I'm not going to be the best writer, but I'm going to try my best. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to do well in this course. Also, I'm really sorry if I was moving around a lot. There was a bee, and I didn't want to get stung. I got stung anyways, but it didn't hurt, though. It's okay. And I was so horrified at the thought that on my first day of teaching ever, it was almost my last. Like, if this student had been allergic to bees, what would I have done in that situation? I don't know. But um, that definitely sticks with me. No more outside classes. Um, so... <laughs> While Alex focuses on his first ever day of teaching, Abigail brings us to the end of her semester, recalling her experience sharing a funny moment from her past. For me, my goodness, I have so many memories, but I think one of the consistent fun things that I've enjoyed about teaching 
is when at the start of the semester, I ask my students to guess what world record I've helped to break. And I get some pretty interesting responses. Some of them really lean into the, the ginger identity that I portray. A few of them will say like, most number of gingers in one place, or most number of gingers dressed up as leprechauns in one place. I always love showing them the actual footage at the end of the semester because I have I have documentation I have evidence this occurred in 2012 when my family actually lived in Northern Ireland for six months and it was very random my mom's friend invited her to participate in this event where a bunch of people dressed up as Annie from Broadway and we all learned the musical number to it's a hard knock life and it's posted on YouTube it's like the most number of people to perform a dance and song routine in one location. I can pull up the video at the end of the semester and point to my classmates, there I am, there's that really odd looking redhead with the transition lenses. It's, it's funny and they all get a big kick out of it. So I really enjoy it. That's one of my more memorable moments of teaching. As graduate students and first time instructors, it is reassuring to listen and laugh with our fellow colleagues. One common thread between all of our experiences was the anxiety we faced while teaching new material for the first time. As Ramses explains, sometimes first-time teaching anxiety results in some interesting pedagogical approaches. One of my most memorable teaching moments, I think, yeah, I agree that kind of happens every semester that I'm teaching Spanish as a basic language. At the very end of the semester, we have like this cultural day. We have like one session to talk briefly besides of grammar of our homeland countries or the, the places we come from. So every time we do that, I tend to emphasize that I come from Spain, but I also come from Barcelona. So I also speak Catalan. I'm learning Portuguese. And I like to emphasize like, you know, in the I Iberian Peninsula, we speak different languages, although it's a very small portion of land. Specifically, the very first time I did it, in my mind, in the mirror, the day before I was, you know, practicing my speech, like code switching into four different languages. Now I think of it and I think, wow, what a pretentious teacher, like, wow. Bleh. But at the moment, it looked like a very cool idea. And then the very first time arrived and I was like, okay, so, you know, we speak Spanish and then I, I spoke in Spanish, then Catalan, I spoke in Catalan. So, so I make a little mixture and I just saw the face of this student at the very first row, like saying like, what is that person doing? And at the very end of, the, of that session, he approached to me and he said like, your Spanish sounds very different when you're speaking like Catalan. And I'm, I was like completely lost, like, they're different languages. Like, <laughs> what is happening? Like, like I, the, I, I kind of started doubting, like, how, how was I explaining that if, he, if that person was not even able to, you know, realize there were different languages? Like, wow, those accents are, like, super cool. And I was like, they're not accents. They're actually different languages. Like, it took years, like, you know, of practice. Like, uh, it was very fun. And from that point on, I, I really like to, you know, focus on how they just, like, lose it. Like, wow. Like, that sounds strange. That, that, that would be like one of my most memorable uh, moments. Ramses, I think you've simultaneously discouraged me and inspired me to experiment with randomly switching to my terrible British accent while teaching. <laughs> well, at least they will still know that you're speaking in English. True. But 
How much does that matter if you're not confident with the teaching material in the first place? Sometimes I feel like I'm only about an hour ahead of my students, studying the material as a student up to the minute before I enter the classroom as the teacher. That is so true. Actually, Vani also shares her anxiety teaching material that she has never taught before in her story. Hi, um, my name is Vani, and um, it is my second year at Penn State, but my first year in Human Development and Family Studies Department. I have an interesting background because it is very interdisciplinary. So I was earlier in Biomedical Engineering Department. I have some teaching experience, not a lot. I think the first time I taught, and it was the first time ever in a grad school setting, that entire semester or the teaching experience has been memorable for me. And the course that I had to teach was something I had never uh, learned before. So that, that itself was a challenge. And I think teaching that was very memorable because I used to learn things first on my own and then go to the class to teach. The students also, I mean, I'm glad that the students uh, were able to learn something out of it. They used to help me as well because I, I was very honest with them that I'm learning along with you. I think that that itself was one of the memorable things. And then towards the end of the semester, I think the most heartwarming thing for me uh, was when I clicked a picture with all of them and they were happy about it and they, they gave very good feedback that I have been a good teaching assistant, so I, I have been happy and yeah, it's, it's memorable. As an English literature student required to teach rhetoric and composition, I relate to Bonnie's anxiety teaching an unfamiliar curriculum. Oh well, I relate a lot too. I'm teaching intro to Hispanic literature and many times I read some text for the very first time before teaching them. On the other hand, the anxiety and self-doubt graduate students face is sometimes not related to unfamiliarity with the material, but instead arises from student-to-instructor interactions. Sophia and Maho share their experiences working with students. Hi, I'm Sophia. I am also in the Spanish uh, department. I am in the fourth year. My most memorable teaching moment is basically a question mark in my teaching memory because it, it's the most unpredictable situation. In the Spanish classes, there is a greeting, uh, a writing assignment or a graded assignment that it's like an essay. It's called Escritura. It's uh, basically during the classroom, during the class time, students need to write by hand a very short essay based on the content of that, uh, of two lessons, basically. But it has to be in person and by hand. That's like the main idea. So at the end of that, I recollected all of the essays and I went home, I was checking everything and I realized that there was a, an essay that it was extremely hard to read, but very hard. It was like, I don't understand anything that is written here. And I really tried hard and I was like, okay, because I don't write very well. I'm very, trying to be very cautious with that. But I was like, no, I really don't understand. So I had a meeting with this student and I asked him, hey, I really need your help here because I don't understand. And he basically told me, and I really appreciate from him his honesty, he said that, hey, during high school, I was never used to write by hand. And honestly, 
I don't know how to write by hand. I was like, okay, question mark. What do I do? How, what can happen here? What, what is gonna happen? So I went with my supervisor. I told him the situation. So basically we both uh, agreed that he was gonna do these essays in a more private space. And he was gonna do a very big effort on trying to make his writing better. It was very memorable to, to figure out that it, there was a student that actually was really not used to writing by hand and he barely did it during his education during high school. And all. I am Majo. I'm in the Spanish, Italian and Portuguese department. I've been here for three years. This is my fourth. I've been teaching six semesters. This is my sixth semester. So it's been like a lot a lot of things, a lot of memorable things, bad ones, good ones. But I think I'm going to share one that is not that good because I think that it's important to also say those bad experiences. There was this student that he was struggling a lot and I was like really with him and he was like very good with the grades, but he wanted the highest. So there was a moment that there was like a misunderstanding about a grade. That it was a lower grade than usually. And he sent an email to the head of the department saying that I had said something very rude. What was untrue. My supervisor told me like, oh, you have to make an appointment and talk with him. We believe you. But you have to talk with him, like, what was happening? Maybe it's your accent, maybe there was something there. I talked with him. He admitted that he misunderstood and that it was everything was okay. But for me, it was so uncomfortable because I started to doubt about myself. And not just, like, doubt in the teaching part, but also, like, oh, this happened. Like really happened and I didn't notice. There was like this like month that I was doubting about everything that happened in the classroom. So it was like horrible, like really horrible. It was like, whoa, this moment that makes you doubt a lot. <laughs> Not just about your skills, about yourself and everything. That's very oof, a moment teaching. <laughs> Graduate instructors already doubt their credibility. But when external factors like student criticism or other teaching hurdles are introduced, it becomes even easier for grad students to overanalyze themselves and partake in self-deprecation. You are absolutely right. As teachers, we're also learning, right? Ash speaks about her challenges as a new instructor, commenting on the importance of acknowledging neurodiversity in the classroom. So my name's Ash Mays. I'm in the English department and I'm a second year master's student. My most memorable teaching moment actually happens once a semester. Um, so every semester at the beginning of the semester, um, I like to tell my students, like trying to open up the floor, make them feel comfortable and say, oh, hey, just so everybody knows, I have ADHD. Um, I got diagnosed with it as an adult um, and that kind of impacts how I teach. Maybe sometimes I get a little distracted and you gotta get me back on track. Um, and I also kind of use that as a tool to make them feel more comfortable um, to number one, get help for themselves, like with the Disability Resource Center, as well as maybe they can communicate with me what they need with their disabilities. Just trying to help them overcome that maybe they're like societal, in, like block about how they feel about their disabilities. I um, like to make this joke with myself to see how long it takes 
for students, someone, um, how long it's going to take them to tell me that I need to slow down. Um, so far, the longest in the three semesters is one whole week. <laughs> um, I think that's really funny at this point that they do feel comfortable enough to be like, hey, A Mace, I need you to, I need you to slow down a little bit. Um, but maybe eventually, as I become a stronger teacher, maybe I'll learn how to uh, start off slow from the jump instead of having to be told to slow down. But we'll see. Starting the semester by acknowledging one's neurodiversity may also help students expand their concepts of professionalism beyond neurotypical representations. Additionally, student interactions and feedback play a large role in allowing instructors to gain confidence and acknowledge their teaching strengths. Cristina shares an example of when a student made them realize how much graduate instructors can positively impact students' lives. Hi, uh, my name is Christina. I am a second year PhD student in the English department, and I also am doing the dual title with the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies department here at Penn State. I would say one of my most memorable teaching moments here at Penn State happened this past spring semester. I taught a section of English 15, and at the end of the semester, one of my students wrote me a handwritten card thanking me for being, you know, a good teacher, telling me that because they were a first generation student, they really appreciated like the explanation and the help I gave them with some things that maybe, you know, other students who aren't first generation just sort of have knowledge about. Um, as far as academics and college that they did not. And I just thought it was a really nice you know, I have it on my desk. So every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, I make a difference. I, I remind myself that even just for that one student, like my policies were impactful for them. So I think that, you know, that, that sticks with me as I'm moving through my graduate career. Christina's experience receiving a student letter thanking their guidance throughout the semester shows just how graduate instructors, despite our anxieties and doubts, can make meaningful environments and experiences for our students and therefore for ourselves. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. And we hope that these stories invited you to consider the importance of advocating for yourself, pushing against self-doubt, and finding community while pursuing graduate studies. Again, this is Abigail Cowan. And Ramses Martinez Barquero. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix. Owen Quinn composes our theme music. Sharonic Bosu and Kim Adams edit our audio. And Sharonic Bosu manages our social media. You can find High Theory on the New Books Network and also on hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.